Well, I greet you in the name of Jesus, and I would like to tell you that I have three goals that are bordering on unrealistic. One, preach very softly, and that means don't use my voice inflection. Secondly, preach very short. And thirdly, cover a whole chapter. On Wednesday, I basically was at 10% voice, if that. Feel great, but my voice just is, has left me. But it's, it's, it's going much better. I would say I'm up to 80 to 90% voice. So therefore, I have those goals to speak softly and short. Some of you might think right away, oh, is he sick? Does that mean there's sickness in the family? Does that mean Janessa's sick? Uh, that's kind of the feeling that we have in our house, because uh, some of us really have been struggling with colds in the past week, and, and I tend to get pretty tense and uneasy, and sure enough, on about Tuesday, Wednesday, I started catching something, and we were gone for the weekend, had a wonderful weekend up at the cabin, Janessa was along, and it was a Wednesday night, and one of the first nights we got home, I heard Janessa sniffing a little bit, and I started panicking, and so I told Joyce, well, let's call the, call the hospital right away and call the doctor right away tomorrow, and they did that, and the doctor didn't call back, and then the next day, I got pretty uneasy about it, and the next day, the doctor finally called back, and she was kind of laughing. She said, oh, this is just the first, what did she say, the first post-transplant cold. In other words, it's okay. But just uh, be very monitor it closely if she has any kind of fever, but she's doing fine. As far as her progress, we're just praising the Lord. The chimerism results, which means how many, what percent of the cells are coming from Logan are up in the 80 to 90, towards 90%. Is that right? 80, 87%. So we're praising the Lord for that. She did take a little fall on the steps, which usually would be very concerning. And she basically did not bruise at all. So it's obviously her platelets are working. So praise the Lord with us. Philippians chapter 3. Please turn there with me. Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> Very possible I may even ask for a few volunteers to read the text to uh, limit what, what I need to do with my voice. So I'll be there at Philippians chapter 3. I want to tell you a story about George Whitfield. George Whitfield made a decision at a teenager, as a teenager to live a very serious and a religious life. That's good. He went to college. He began to pray and sing psalms three times a day. <clears throat> Every Friday was his fast day. And on that day, he would go to a local parish church and receive the sacrament of communion. He was always there with public worship. And he abstained from every worldly pleasure that he could think of. Good guy. One day, Charles Wesley gave him a book. Charles Wesley gave him the book entitled The Life of God in the Soul of Man, written by Henry Skogel. After reading the book, he realized that things weren't right in his, with his spiritual life he realized that he did not have the life of God in him 
as portrayed in the book. So later in one of his sermons, it's recorded, here's what he said. He said, I must bear testimony to my old friend Charles Wesley. He put a book in my hands that showed me that I must be born again or I would be damned. I learned that a man may go to church, he may say his prayers, he may receive the sacrament, and yet not be a Christian. How my heart did rise and shudder like a poor man that is afraid to look into his ledger, lest he should find himself bankrupt. Shall I burn the book? Shall I throw it down? Or should I search it? I searched it. And I cried out to the God of heaven, I said, Lord, if I am not a Christian, for Jesus Christ's sake, show me what Christianity is that I may not be damned at the last. I discovered that they who know anything of religion know it is a vital union with the Son of God, Christ formed in the heart, and oh, what a ray of divine life did break into my soul at that point. Unquote. So that is an interesting story about uh, George Whitfield, and it kind of parallels Paul's testimony in Philippians chapter 3. I believe one of the most heartbreaking, tragic thoughts or stories or scenes is when a very religious person who is extremely conscious to adhere to a certain moral code of any kind, in other words, a good person, good home, good family, respected in society, good morals, diligent, devout, and in comparison, in, compared to the heathen, live a very righteous life. And when they die and they cross the threshold into eternity, and they open their eyes, being in torments. They cry for one drop of water. And they realize that their trust was not, or, or was in something less than the work and the person of Jesus Christ. Well, Remember, the theme is on the, of the book of, of Philippians is joy, and I had to, uh, I realized that Philippians 3, is, really, is this really about joy? I mean, we're, we're going to re read some words about beware, we're going to read about weeping and crying and so on, but the summary of this, <clears throat> this chapter is the spiritual mind. Just a little bit of review. Chapter 1 is the single mind. The single mind, if you don't have a single mind, you won't be a joyful person because circumstances will bring you down. Number 2, chapter 2, was about the submissive mind. And if you don't have a submissive mind, people and relationships will bring you down and you'll lose your joy. In chapter 3, we're going to see the, a, a repeated word, things. It's in verse 7, it's twice in verse 8, it's twice in verse 13, it's in verse 19, it's in verse 21, and it goes beyond tangible things. It has the idea of reputation, it has the idea of fame, it has the idea of achievements, and even zeal and morality. And those things must 
unfortunately, there's, there's, it's so easy to put confidence in something other than Christ, something else, and that will rob you of joy. The only way you'll be a joyful person, the only way that you will be a joyful person is if you have a vital relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to see. In, that's a summary of chapter 3. I have three points. The first 11 verses, <clears throat> we're going to see Paul counting. So point one, I count. In verses 12 to 16, Paul says, I press. Verses 17 to 21, I look. So here's what a spiritual mind does. A spiritual mind counts, he presses, and he looks. And he, Paul uses the metaphor of an athlete, I'm sorry, an accountant in the first 11 verses. We're going to put things in categories, in the loss or the asset liability category. So he's an, he's an accountant, I mean, the metaphor of an accountant, and he talks about in Christ, he has brand new values. And in the second section, the second point is I press, verses 12 to 16, he has the metaphor of an athlete, and he has brand new vigor. And in the last few verses, he uses the metaphor of an alien. In other words, he's from another place, and he's looking. I look. It's new vision. So that will be a little bit of a, an outline where we go. So let's read the first 11 verses. And I'm going to pick on Brother Andrew. Would you do that for me? Uh, if you don't mind, stand up, face the congregation, read verse 1 through 11 uh, loud and clear. Amen. Thank you. So Paul says something interesting in verse 3, verse 1. He says, finally. He's half done. Some of us can relate to that, right? I think what's going on here is Paul came to, and he honestly was going to shut it down. He was going to close the letter, finally. And then he just had, some people call chapter 3 the parenthesis chapter. And... I think, I think there's some truth to that because he'll come back to, he'll come back to verse, uh, in chapter 4, verse 8, he, he tries it again, finally, and he basically is closing it down. 
But he comes to the theme. And again, finally, brethren, what does it say? Rejoice in the Lord. There's the theme. And the latter part of verse 1, I'm calling this the introduction, introductory verses of the chapter. He's basically saying, I make no apologies for repetition. It's, I have to say this again. To write it again, it's not grievous. It's safe. It's, it, i got to do it. And then he goes into verse 2 and he says, beware. And i just like to say this morning, beware. In, in this setting here, it says, beware of dogs, evil workers, the concision uh, or the mutilation, whichever translation you're, you're, you're using. He's obviously speaking directly to Judaism. You know what Judaizers were? Paul would go on his ministry trips. He would, he would uh, the Spirit of God would move. There would be a little a church, a nucleus of a church formed. And then Paul would leave. And here come the Judaizers, kind of like little dogs snipping on, snapping at your heels. That's what they were. And they would come into Paul's church, the, the church and say, okay, it's all good. Yes, it's, what you're doing is good. But you've got to adhere to the Jewish law. You've got, in fact, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to do all this under the umbrella of Judaism. And what it was doing, it was taking, a, it was, it was taking away from, from Christ. So Paul is basically saying, beware. So beware of the, the, the many voices. In verse 3, he says, we are the circumcision. So get the picture. Actually, this is a real sarcastic tone, if you, if you read between the lines. First of all, he says, dogs. Do you know that Jews called Gentiles dogs? That was common. So Paul turns around and says, beware of dogs. That was very offensive to a Jew. Secondly, then Paul says, we, remember those, those, those Judaizers were saying, you've got to be circumcised. And here comes Paul and he says, we are the circumcision. And I would be really tempted to spend about 15 minutes and talk about circumcision. We don't talk about that a lot. But it was a required practice in Judaism. It was required. And it's, there's nothing spiritual about it today. There are, I mean, some people, it's an argument. Is it, is it, a, is it a, a health benefit and so on? I don't think God would ever ask some uh, uh, people to do something that have, has no benefit at all. But Paul is saying, we are... We are basically the picture of what circumcision foreshadowed, the cutting off of the flesh, if you will. So Paul says it real bluntly and, sar and sarcastically, but he also says, here's what Christianity really is. He, he, we worship and we rejoice and we have no confidence in the flesh. And I want to tell you something. I brought this Bible and... My dear wife said, why do you read this Bible? I said, yeah. I'll tell you later, but this is, this is sacrilegious. <laughs> and it kind of is. I mean, it's not sac. Don't get me wrong. Th this page is just hanging on by one thread. I can't tell you. I cannot put into words what this verse meant to me in 1993 and 1994. I, I there's no way I can put it into words. 
My story, my salvation story, was a story of trying so hard, so hard to do everything right, to have that peace with God, good things, cutting this off and cutting that off and talking to this person, doing, doing this, and so much so that I just couldn't, I couldn't just focus on Christ. And the day came where I realized that it, it's, it's Christ. And because of that, this page is just one of the most worn pages of this Bible that I used in 1993 and 1994. And it's very personal to me because I was putting confidence in the flesh. And that's a, that's a tendency and a challenge for every human being to try to put confidence and merit. Now, I'm talking about salvation merit. This, is, this gets really touchy because I am in no way, shape, or form minimizing the importance of good works and things that we do. But when it comes to the, the, the merit of salvation, it, it, you, just, you just can't. What, what is Christianity? It's, it's worship. It's worshiping God in the spirit. It's rejoicing in Christ. It's the joy. Do you have it? You have the joy, and it's no confidence, no trust. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. So he's counting. In, in, uh, in the next few verses, I count, I count, I count. Basically making a profit and loss category. Uh, he basically says in verse 4, I'm going to go through this quickly. He says, if anybody has any reason to trust in any confidence in the flesh, I have more. And you know what? I think he's right. And the next few verses, he gives his spiritual resume, if you will. He says everything that he was and is. And we have the same tendencies to do that. Uh, there's seven points. Number one, I'm an eighth there. In other words, I was circumcised on day eight. That's, that's big, that's huge, that's right to the letter of the law, that's the best time to do it. And also, he's saying, I was not a proselyte. I was not grafted in later, I wasn't, I didn't come on at 12 years old. Eighth day, circumcised. I'm from Israel, in other words, I'm from Jacob, I'm not from Ishmael or Esau, I'm from, I'm, I'm the right stock. Mind you, Benjamin. That was the elite tribe. You know, Benjamin was the only one born in, in the land of Canaan, of all the tribes. And then he says, I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, what he's saying is, I, there was a con controversy over the, the Jews adopting Hebrew, uh, not Hebrew, Greek practices, the Hellenistic worldview, if you will. And the Jews were slowly, especially the liberal Jews, the Sadducees, they were... They were adopting Hellenistic culture, hook, line, and sinker, but not the conservative Jews. Paul says, Hebrew of Hebrews. What well, he was saying, no adoption of worldly practices, none. Pharisee, ooh, education. Here's a big one. He says, I, I'm, in a nutshell, he's saying, taught by Gamaliel, I got the best, I was well-respected, uh, 
Oh, the, the uh, Pharisees were the conservative group. I think I maybe mentioned that. The liberals were, were the Sadducees. Sixth point was I was very zealous. In other words, there's requirements. In every, in every given situation, there's, there's basic requirements, right? Most people try to make the basic requirements. If you fall short, you get docked. If you go over, you're zealous. And he says there was a line, expected line. I just jumped that, that everybody around me said, Wow. That's what he was saying. And then he said the, the, the icing on the cake, he said, blameless. And I, th- I don't think he was lying. I really think if you met Paul in his prime, you could say, the guy's right on. The guy's serious. The guy's devout. The guy's a Jew. The... And you couldn't find fault with him. And then in that situation, as he lived there, one day he was going to Damascus. You know the story. And all of a sudden, everything that he was fighting against came down on him and struck him down. And he looked and he says, who are you? And the next three words shattered his life. It said, the next three words he heard was, I am Jesus. Whom thou persecutest. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And then he gave his sinner's prayer, if you will. His sinner's prayer was, Lord, what do you want me to do? I, I'm, he, made, he made a choice to transfer his allegiance in that moment to the Lord Jesus. In other words, everything that he thought he was stacking up as merit in his spiritual bank account just so paled because he saw the person. Everything he was striving for, he saw the person in blazing light. And when you see Jesus for who he is and what he's done, everything, yea, everything will just pale. It is impossible to stand up to that light with anything to offer, anything. I don't care who you were born, what your, what your stock is, what your education is, what your gifts are, what zeal you have. When you come up against Christ, it's just like, you know, I'm not into photography, but I know one thing about photography. If the camera's got one of these gadgets on that you can blur everything in the back, it's a good ca- it's a cool camera. Because you can make everything up front focus. And that's kind of what it that's kind of what the picture here is of Jesus. He just came up, comes up so clear, so bright, so shining, and everything else just kind of uh, pales. So that's basically what he's saying. In all these verses, he's saying, and and because I met Jesus. Uh, everything in my profit category actually went over into the loss category because not that they're bad. I mean, don't say, I mean, uh, take, take circumcision for instance. Do you know that Paul circumcised Timothy before he took him on the journey? He's not saying some of these things are bad. The reason he did it is because they were going to minister to the Jews and he had respect for their, their opinions and so on. But... Uh, you, you could, he's, not, he's not knocking all these, but because he was putting confidence in salvation, it had to go in a category, and he goes as far as saying it's manure or dung. That's pretty strong, right? I counted him as, as dung. And he basically says, I just, I just want to be found in Jesus. I, it's all about Christ. I want to win Christ or gain Christ. Everything else got to blur. And in verse 10, I just I underlined these verses and I remember doing it in 1994. Oh, that I might know him. 
and the power of his resurrection. I actually remember my own personal testimony getting kind of pumped up. Power of the resurrection. And then I kept reading. That's in green highlight. I'm not sure why. But then it's just in pencil, the rest of it. And the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. And I didn't get it back then. But I know now that there's no resurrection power until there's a death. Everybody likes resurrection power and spiritual power, but nobody likes the death. There's no Easter until there's Good Friday. A, a, a leader of the persecuted church said, 95% of all people who, who face the persecution test pass. And he said, 95% of all the people who face the prosperity test, fail. I don't know how you come up with that. It's something I read. Fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Oh, do you have that burning heart to know Jesus Christ? That's the highest. I quote Ted Steinrock. He preached here, I think it was his last sermon. I have a, a note that he said, the highest use of the human mind is to know Christ. And maybe he was quoting somebody else intellectuals or the wise of this world have their philosophies, have their theories, have their formulas, have their processes that are amazing and intriguing. But a mind to know Christ, eternity will re reveal that that's the highest use that will ever, ever, ever use the human mind. My brother, my sister, do you, can, can, does your heart cry with me? Oh, to know him, to know Jesus. Okay, that's the I count. So Paul's counting and he's putting the things in their proper category and it's Christ and Christ alone. Now we come to the next few, few verses, verses 12 to 16 and it is I press. Uh, where's Kurt? I saw Kurt. Uh, did Kurt leave? Jared, you're right where Kurt was sitting so would you read 12 to 16? Don't you love when you get caught off guard? Philippians 3, verses 12 to, let's do 16, 12 to 16. Sorry about that. Thank you, brother, for reading that. You know, that, thank you for the delay, too, because now everybody got their Bible open. They're right ready to go, just in case they read the next, next couple verses. And you can certainly do that to me someday. 
So I want you to, I want you to catch the, the heartbeat. I press. The word press carries the <clears throat> connotation of intense endeavor. The, uh, the idea of relaxing is so foreign in this, chap in, in this section of verses. He not only counts, the spiritual mind is going to count, right? Value system. And the spiritual mind, my brother, my sister, will press. It is impossible to maintain spiritual vitality and just chill. There's almost a sense of dissatisfaction. He says, I'm laying hold of Christ. In other words, that apprehend word is a word I don't use, but he says, I, I, I'm just laying hold of Christ. Somebody give an illustration of a, a football player. And a, a football player just kind of just lay hold and bring them down. And Paul says, that, that's what I want. I'm reaching for this thing like, I just want to get a hold of it. And then he says, like, Christ did it to me. Like, Christ brought me down, apprehended for Christ's sake. And now I'm apprehended. Uh, just heard a statistic that most people perform at about 20% potential. True or false? I reacted when I heard it. 20% potential? I wonder if it's true. Let's say it like this. I think there's more truth to that statistic than I want to admit. I read, also read a story of uh, a boss that had a, a good salesman. And one day, the fellow salesman heard this good salesman being chided like he was going to be fired. And the boss walks out, and the two salesmen are kind of like, <laughs> and later, salesman number two, the guy that did not get chided, was talking to the boss, and he said, "What's why? He, he's your best." And the boss laughs. Yeah, I discovered if I don't do that twice a month, he relaxes. He just compares himself to everybody else. I press. The spiritual mind presses like an athlete. He forgets the past. We could talk about that. He forgets the past. He's no longer, I personally don't believe it's possible to just forget every detail. Uh, but I think that forgetting has the idea of just breaking free from all the bondage and chains of the past. You can't change your past. You can't. It's there. You cannot change it. You wish, I wish I could. But I can change the meaning of the past and the definition of it. I forget. I found it so interesting that Joseph, we're going to talk about, talking about Joseph, he named his oldest son Manasseh. Manasseh means God helps me forget. Unlock that one. He had a lot of things to try to forget, but yet he could, he, could, he could go recount the things in detail. But the forgetting the things that are past, and just it's part of pressing. Determination. And they're going pressing towards a goal, a finish line. Yesterday, uh, some of you might know, Mary and Casey, Mary Beth and Casey ran a half marathon 
13 miles? Like 13 miles. Go you, right? But at about one o'clock in the afternoon, I saw a picture. They were texting pictures, and guess what the pictures was? Was the picture starting at the, at the starting line, you know? No. The picture of at the big banner, finish, and there are posed to take a picture. And that's what it's all about. The spiritual mind presses towards a mark. I don't know what mark you got. What mark do I have? What mark do you have? What are you, what is, what's life all about? Wednesday, I attended a, a funeral of John Brubaker, and brother, I listened to Brother Leon's message last week. It was an excellent message. Job well done on describing Johnny B. But he talks, and actually, you can go on Fairview's website, Fairview Mennonite Church, and listen to his life story. About a month ago, he preached it, and that, that was really intriguing. But he, it, it talks about, uh, he, he, he openly talks about the mark, the, the finish line. And that's, that's what we're, pre- we're pressing to death. Ever think that through? Because death for us, I know physically, it's, we're not chomping at the bit to go there. Harlan Sell would say it so good. He would say, I'm not afraid of it, but I'm in no hurry. That's really what it's all about. Saying it, the, the race is finished and I'm pressing towards the mark and that mark is to be with Christ, to be with Jesus so, I'm wondering, as you look at my life and I look at your life, are you pressing? Verses 15 to 16 have a together, run together theme. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to say, uh, it's group discipline. Let's all think the same. Let's all mind the same. This is, uh, um, this is for the mature group. Not like we are, not, none of us are perfect or like we have attained, but let's, let's run together. Let's run by the same rule. That is a really interesting phrase. There's something in there that needs to be unlocked about people running together. There's a time for runners together. The, the race yesterday had parameters of the people that are running together. Let's run by the same rule. Let's think the same. Let's be unified. Let's, and that will happen. A spiritual-minded people will always be unified because it's Christ is our, is our focus, and that's the goal. The last one, very short, is I look. I look. Verses 17 through 20, uh, 21. Who is not? Let me, Brother Leon, would you do that for me? Praise God. I could hardly stop. I mean, I could hardly uh, refrain from saying hallelujah while you were saying, I look towards Jesus who's coming to change me. That's the last point. I look. I count. I press. I look. That's spirituality. That's what a spiritual mind does. You show me a person like that, those three things, I'll show you a a joyful person. 
There will be a radiance in that person's life, his face, his, there will be a fragrance there. And it's beautiful to see. And that's my heart to press into that with you together. Paul says, look at examples. That's so important. We could have a whole message on examples. Actually, that'll probably come later because that's on Winter Bible School topic. That was assigned to me. I find that interesting. So I'm kind of skipping over that. You'll hear that later sometime. Examples in verses 17. The tears. I can't skip the tears. Paul says, I tell you this, but I tell you weeping. He was, I believe he was literally crying as he wrote. He said, there are people. They're the enemies of the cross of Christ. The end is destruction. I don't know what he means by the God is their belly. They're promoting things that they ought to be ashamed of. Maybe they're, I don't know what the, how, how it looks in 2019, 2020. Did you ever see some pictures you thought, they ought to be ashamed of that. The bottom line, they mind earthly things. Most scholars think he's referring to Gnostics. There's two ends of the spectrum. Always was, always will be. You can be on the Judaizer ditch. Conser uh, I don't want to use the word conservative, but just putting all your confidence in things. And that's your salvation. I know a man that didn't have peace with God. He went to his dad. He said, he's a, 20 he's a married man. He said, I, 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 need, I need to find peace with God. And his dad said, well, change this, change that. Wear this, wear that. That's a ditch. You get it? It's closer home than I, I want to admit. Most people think this is the Gnostic ditch. He started off in this ditch and he's ending up in this ditch. The Gnostics were the ones that would separate the spirit and the flesh. And they had this philosophy that, oh, we live up here in the spirit. It's a spirit, spirit, everything's a spirit. And, and they would separate the deeds of the flesh because that's flesh, that's bad. Modern day Gnosticism says, have Jesus in your heart and everything's fine. And there's a separation of, of uh, what you, the deeds done in the flesh and your spiritual life. That's the, Paul's tears. I share them and I think you share them too as you make observations of modern day casualties. Let's, I look. The answer is and always will be I look, we look to Jesus. Our citizenship is in heaven. He's going to come, he's going to come one day and he's going to totally change us. Are you excited about that? This old, especially if you got some uh, uh, physical limitations. I have some good dear brothers right here that have some physical challenges and they're the ones that are usually talking about heaven and excited about it because Jesus is going to come and he's going to change. You know what a spiritual mind does? Even in a robust teenager that has a spiritual mind, he's looking. Spiritual mind counts his value system. A spiritual mind presses. And a spiritual mind looks. And that's going to be equivalent to a very joyful bunch of people in whom I think I'm talking to. Let's all stand together for a closing prayer. Lord, it's been good to just walk through Philippians 3. We try to imagine what our dear brother Paul was thinking and feeling and, and 
trying to put into words from the prison cell in Rome as he would send this letter to the little church in Philippi who is experiencing some challenges. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to walk through these inspired verses today. And Lord, in all of our journeys, you know right where we're at. You know if there's any one of us right here that is putting confidence in the flesh. My prayer is, Lord, that you would come to anyone the same way you came to Paul and just reveal the blazing light of Jesus. Lord, you know if there's one of us here that is just relaxing and we're not pressing. You know if there's one of us here that is just not looking. We're minding earthly things. I pray, God, that you'd be merciful and gentle to us this morning and, and awaken our spiritual eyes that we would have a vibrant, quick, sharp spiritual mind and be very joyful. Thank you for Jesus, our dear Savior. And now, Lord, make us a blessing to others and grant us safety. In the name of Jesus, amen. You were dismissed. Okay, a song, please.